Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Oxfordshire Recovery College podcast. Now this is entitled sleep. That isn't the aim. We're not trying to send you to sleep in the podcast, but hopefully you will get some tips for how you might help your sleep hygiene after the podcast. I was joined today by Annie, who co-hosted the podcast alongside of me. Annie gave some great experience and insight into her experiences of sleep and mental health. Annie has struggled herself with sleep and her mental health and has actually taken that experience and now looked at it from an academic perspective as well. So please keep listening. I hope you pick up some really good tips for your sleep hygiene moving forward and you enjoy the podcast. Hi all, welcome to this fifth edition of the Oxfordshire Recovery College podcast. So this week we are doing a sleep podcast um, and I'm co-hosting alongside Annie, who's also one of the tutors at the Recovery College and has been a student in in the past. Hopefully, Annie, we're not going to send everybody to sleep in this podcast, despite the title. (laughs) Um, That is not the aim of the podcast. It's to hopefully give you a little bit more information as we have been with with all the others. So without further ado, hello, Annie. Hi, it's great to be here. I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast so far and I'm uh, delighted to get involved. Thank you. No, thanks very much, Annie. Thank you for for listening to the one so far. Is there anything in particular that sort of stood out for you? Oh, gosh, now you're asking. I think the the personal stories and hearing different voices was really good. Um, So I enjoyed what Claire, um, was it Claire and Tony did one? Yes, yes. Yes, I really enjoyed that. And then um, there was one that was a bit more sort of practical with, uh, you know, mindfulness segments and a bit about panic attacks as well was really helpful to to get a sense of, of what might work in the moment. Great. Fantastic. So, yeah, nice, nice variety and nice to feel uh, still in touch with the college. Great. And if it is your first time listening to the podcast, a great bit of marketing there, Annie, to uh, go back and listen to the uh, first four podcasts as well, which are, are still up. And if you if this is your first interaction with the college and you want to find out a little bit more, do feel free to to head back and give those a, a listen. Um, but we are here today to to talk about about sleep. Um, Annie just mentioned there in, in terms of um you know, hearing about other tutors and, and what their stories are. And as we've said in other podcasts, the Recovery College is fully co-produced. We have people who come with their own lived experience of, of a mental health condition or maybe a way that a mental health condition does affect things like sleep um, for them, which we will obviously speak to Annie about um, on the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to, to hearing kind of her, her views on it. So, Annie, are you, are you happy just to kind of um, let our listeners, well, make them aware of a little bit more of kind of your story and, and what got you, you involved with the Recovery College? Yeah, sure. So um, my first contact with the Recovery College, probably like most of the tutors, was as a student. Um, so this is going back, ooh, three 
possibly four years. So fairly early on when the Recovery College started in Oxfordshire, I suppose. And, um, oh, I, I just loved it. It was a breath of fresh air to me. Um, at the time, I'd spent a little while considering a change of career. And I was training or possibly already working as a volunteer peer supporter with MIND and um, coming into contact um, with some people's experiences that were less familiar to me. So I came along to the college to educate myself and find out more. And the concept was just, it really spoke to me. I found it really powerful. The um, shared learning environment, um, again, hearing the, the voices in the room of people with lived experience, and just the positivity around it all. So I, I knew I liked the concept before I came along. And then I came along, did some courses and also really enjoyed the practical way that the college works. Um, and I, it was a really positive experience for me. Um, so I carried on uh, volunteering with MIND. And then I started also volunteering with Restore alongside um, work that I'd been doing previously and had been doing for many years. Um, and just loved all that interaction and the chance to learn more and develop in in the field of mental health, really. And it was also really important for supporting my own recovery. Um, I have my own experiences, primarily with anxiety and depression, um, including poor sleep, which we'll come on to later. And um, the positive learning environment, the contact with really interesting people, and the chance to find out more was all really positive for my own recovery as well. Oh, fantastic. I think that was just really, really beautifully put there, Annie. I think like many of, of, of the other tutors, you know, it's, and I think this is what the recovery college can, can be so useful for a number of people for their recovery is, is then use those experiences that you were saying that you had of, 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 you know, anxiety, depression and poor sleep, but then be able to, to help others and, and help that, you know, stigmatization that there still is around mental health, that it is OK. And you can use those experiences to, to help others, which I think you so beautifully. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd even go a step further. I'd say it's more than OK. I'd say it's absolutely vital and necessary. And it's also really necessary that our mental health provision is um designed and you know all of that input comes in from people with lived experience and people who can say how it actually should be it it, it seems almost incredible to think that it hasn't always been that way because it's just such common sense yeah. um yeah and i would say getting involved with the recovery college uh, initially as a student and then i had the opportunity to train as a tutor which was fantastic and i learned a lot through that process uh, in fact i think you and i trained around the same time we did didn't we? we were in the same group we, did. we were in the same yeah, it was group. A fun group yeah yeah it's a really nice group of people and I'm still in touch I think with everybody from that group um and as well as what I gained in my personal recovery and general sort of interest um and the people that I've met along the way I would say also getting involved with the recovery college has been really helpful for me in that change of career that I mentioned because um <clears throat> I tested the water, if you like, um, with volunteering while I was still working in my old career. And then I, I bit the bullet. Um, took me a while, but I did it. 
um, and uh, trained in psychology. And since then, I've gained experience in, in quite a variety of roles. Uh, but I'm absolutely sure that the experience I've gained at the Recovery College has been really, really important for that in terms of being able to do other things, but also in terms of my own development, um, learning new skills, gaining confidence. Um, so it's, it's been really fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks very much for that, Annie. I was getting a really, yeah, I think you brought in a really other great aspect there that for you, obviously, there's your, your, your personal recovery, but also to get a little bit of a, you know, sort of dip your toe in the water of what it's like to work within within mental health. And, and you know, you saying there that you've um, then gone on to change career as well. So I think that's certainly a really um I think you're a great advert there for actually anybody who is, which I'm sure there are those who are listening who are interested in mental health or maybe had their own experiences, that you can absolutely go and do a little bit of volunteering or go and do a bit of work in, in this sector to just find out how it is and then, you know, possibly look at, at options or think, I'm going to do a bit more volunteering or actually I'm going to have a, a real sort of career change with this. Mm. Um, I think generally in life, that's a really good, a good way of approaching things. Um, I think in the past, I've, I've thought maybe in quite rigid terms, like I have to know what I want and, and it all has to be clear. And, and actually, um, it works better for me if I can say, I'm just going to try it out and it might work. It might not. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, really. Um, and I'm quite an anxious person. I'm quite a cautious person. So for me, being able to say, OK, I'll volunteer and gain experience and gain confidence and gain knowledge about whether this is something I want to do. Mm. Um, so that's an approach that works for me. Fantastic. And is this your first ever podcast? This is. This is. I was thinking about that earlier today because obviously the situation that we're in now is not something that anybody would have wished for. Um, but it has led to some quite interesting new experiences and, and this is one of them. So a little bit of a silver lining there. Great. Absolutely. absolutely. And we're really excited to, to have you on today to, to talk about your experiences of sleep because, you know, as for, for, for so many, and I'll be the first to, to say that my sleep has, has suffered a little bit at the moment. I've actually been sleeping too long um, mm. and, and finding it difficult to get up. In the morning, I know that many of our students have, have contacted and I've spoke to students about this who've said that, you know, similar sort of thing to what I'm having or they're not sleeping at all or they're sleeping for half an hour and then their mind is, is racing. So I know there's a number of people who, who are, uh, are sort of eagerly awaiting this and, and, and interested to hear, you know, sort of your your thoughts on it as as well. Mm. So, um how how did you i mean it just seems a silly question how did you get into sleep because it's a it's a natural thing that we all do isn't it but what 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 sparked your your interest then in i think that's a great question actually and i think it says a lot about society that it never really occurred to me i had experienced poor sleep for large parts of my life and you know, knew it was an issue. There was one particular period going back a few years now where for really, I mean, a couple of years, it wasn't a short period. I was typically just about 
you know, with some routine around it, which we can come back mm. to. I was just about getting to sleep and maybe sleeping for three, four hours and then come three o'clock in the morning, wide awake for hours. So it was massively, massively disrupting. Mm. And actually, you know, why wasn't I thinking about sleep then? Um, so it's it's one of those things like so often in life that, you know, things combine the time is right and and you start engaging with it so for me personally um when my anxiety is high um or if i'm in a period of de depression or if something in particular is going on sleep is one of the major things that's impacted um but i really only got more interested in sleep when i was doing a psychology masters recently up at oxford brooks university as part of my change of career and there were various modules and um, pieces of work that you could do. And I opted to do some extra work on sleep because I thought, well, that looks really interesting. And I'm not a very sciencey person um, and it is a bit sciencey. So uh, that kind of surprised me, but I find it really, really fascinating. And actually on the back of that, I then got a part time job as a research assistant um, at a sleep laboratory. So we're very fortunate in Oxfordshire, um, particularly connected to the University of Oxford, but also um, up at Brooks, there's a lot of research into sleep. And um, there's a sleep lab run by the Department for Clinical Neuroscience, um, which is up at the Warnford, um, just to the left of the main entrance of the Warnford Hospital. And I got involved with that and just got more and more interested. Um, I will say, though, I'm not a sleep scientist. I'm not a massive expert and I'm certainly not a medic. Um, so if anybody listening to this podcast is really worried about their own sleep um, and thinks that, that they need to get some help with that, the first port of call is always the GP. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's a really, really important thing to say, as we've said with with others, and particularly if you're, you're re-listening back through, as we said on the, the Panic Attacks podcast, you know, if, if, if these are symptoms or things that you are experiencing you know we, we we can't diagnose this is not what we're doing on the podcast it's hopefully some some helpful information um but if you are really struggling with this as annie quite rightly said you you know do go and see your your gp um about this as a as a first part of call um Barney, that was that was really really interesting. So it's both from the personal perspective and now sort of from an, an academic perspective, you're now you know, really sparked your interest. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it, it is funny because as you were saying, we we all do it. We're all asleep for about a third of our lives, and you know, an NHS survey showed recently that two thirds of adults in the UK experience disruptive. So, sleep. Sorry, just quick. Um, two thirds. Two thirds. Two thirds of adults reported that they were experiencing disrupted sleep. So that might be not getting to sleep. It might be waking up too early. It might be waking up in the night. It might be sleeping too much. But some experience of their sleep not being quite right. And so if you think about that, you think, why don't we all have to do a GCSE yeah. in sleep? You know, I mean, at school, they teach you more or less about keeping uh, physically well in, in PE and so on. And I don't know how much happens now in terms of food and nutrition in schools. In my day, there was a bit of home economics, <laughs> not very much. Um, but really, sleep is so fundamental to our well-being. 
and so important for supporting ourselves, not only in literally staying alive, but having good quality of life. Um, it's, I, I find it quite shocking that not more is discussed and talked about and um, mm. taught about. Well, that that has genuinely that has, has has shocked me in terms of that that two thirds figure. I mean, it's not something that. I mean, I'm going to put a slight disclaimer in here, uh, listeners, that I have I have been on the the three hour course of, of the sleep course, and I was genuinely fascinated um, when I did this. And, and Annie and, and Stephen, who developed this course, um, were, were the tutors for that. And so many of these things, um, such as the two thirds, I'd never I never even comprehended. And when you think that a sleep is what roughly a third of your life you know mm. to hear that then two-thirds figure of people struggling and i i don't know a lot yeah. of the things that you can do to to sort of improve that so that's that's really shocking but it also as well i hope it's helpful for some of those listeners to know that it is quite common yeah yeah super common mm. and i think we more or less develop our own strategies like I did um, when I went through a period of particularly bad sleep. Um, but we can share those strategies and we can help each other. And um, I think, yeah, I think talking about it and finding out more about it and the psychoeducational approach of the recovery college is really helpful mm. for that. And since we developed the course, it's, it's been really popular. I think it, it does appeal to students and to people generally because it is such um, a topic that affects everybody yeah well qu quite literally and I'm, I'm interested to hear Annie because you were saying um, you know from your own experience you were struggling you know getting three four hours really di dis uh, disruptive sleep patterns um, previously um, sleep is 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 so important as we say and we, we all have to do it but being disruptive for, for three four hours it, it I mean, I don't, I don't know, but it must have a, a real effect. What What is it that is so important about sleep that, that we need it? And, and that three or four hours for you was just really not good, particularly for your mental health as well. Mm, yeah, it was it was not good enough. Sleep's really interesting. And actually, considering that we all do it and it takes up a large part of our lives, there's actually a lot that's still a little bit unknown about it which is why the research is is very much still ongoing um it's also interesting because it feels like we don't know much about it because we are asleep <laughs> so it we lie down probably um or wherever we are we fall asleep and and then we sort of don't know what's going on until we wake up again um so it seems like it's just a restful mm. state like nothing is happening but actually in terms of what's going on in the body it's it's very active there's lots of growth there's repair there's rejuvenation going on in the body and in the brain um during that period um and if we don't have enough of that it has massive impacts on our physical body and on our our mental well-being as well one thing that we talk about we don't get very sciencey in the course but one thing we do talk about a little bit is the um stages mm. of sleep and i think that's worth mentioning here because it also connects to that waking up um, that i was doing after three or four mm. hours so everybody goes through sleep cycles 
um, throughout the night. The exact length of them might vary night by night and from person to person. There's no perfect sleep cycle. Um, but the average sleep cycle lasts for about 90 minutes. And we phase through different stages through that. Um, so um, some of this might be quite familiar to listeners. Um, we start off in a sort of drowsy, relaxed state where we're sort of it's between sleep and waking. So that might be where we sort of falling asleep and then jerk awake again a little bit. <clears throat> our breathing slows, our muscles relax, our heart rate drops, our body temperature drops. And that then leads into the next stage, which is slightly deeper. And interestingly, in this stage, you might feel like you're a bit awake, but actually be asleep. So some of the messages can be a bit confusing that our bodies are sending. So it's possible that people think they've been awake all night and actually some of that time has they have been asleep. Um, after that, we get into even deeper sleep where there's the lowest amount of activity in the body. And then in an ideal world, that leads into REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep, um, which is where we dream. Um, and in that stage, effectively, the body is paralyzed, um, but our eyes move around, hence the name rapid eye movement sleep. Um, and so those those stages and you can you can dip in and out of the different stages a little bit as well. So it's not quite as linear as that makes it sound. That whole cycle takes around an hour and a half. And at the end of the cycle, it's quite common to rise up to consciousness. So you might wake up slightly. In an ideal world, you turn over, go back to sleep. Um, but you might not. And if your anxiety is very high or if you're disrupted for some reason, that might be where you slightly wake up. And I think that's what was happening with me. I think I was managing a couple of sleep cycles and my body was just about getting enough to to carry on. But my anxiety was so high that as soon as I'd had the minimum amount of sleep, my body and my brain were mm. on again. And it was incredibly hard to get back to sleep at that stage. Um, but really, just just to note, it's quite normal to have that slight rise towards wakefulness several times during the night. So if you experience that, don't worry about it. Don't panic about it. It's just your sleep cycles in an ideal world. Turn over, relax, go back to sleep. So it's just those those natural kind of patterns where you do just slightly go into that consciousness and then, but as you said there, if you are struggling with say underlying anxieties around anything, it can be that that kind of naturally means that you can't then quite easily get back into that cycle that you would do normally. Yeah, that, that was definitely the pattern for me. I think my poor sleep is related primarily to anxiety but that can be different for different people and it is also worth noting that poor sleep can have physical explanations you know there can be something going on um, physically which is affecting your sleep so if you are experiencing poor sleep for any length of time it's definitely worth talking to your GP and they'll just do some checks um, ask some questions maybe do some tests to rule out anything else that it might be. Great. So it's, 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 well, it's, 
it's really important, isn't it? Sleep, basically. We, from from what you know, my very limited understanding of it, and even just talking to you on on the podcast, we we just we can't do without it in terms of that physical and that mental um, sort of nutrition that it almost gives us. Mm. Yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it. We're, we're nourishing ourselves when we're getting a good night's sleep. And you're right, um, we can't do without it. Um, sleep deprivation has been used as a form of torture. In fact, I, I might be wrong, but I think it, it was outlawed um, because it's so brutal. Um, I might be wrong on that, um, but certainly um, we can't manage without it. And we're talking about extreme sleep deprivation here. So we're not talking about a few nights of, of three or four hours sleep. But extreme sleep deprivation can lead to psychosis, hallucinations. Um, but even normal, if we say normal poor sleep, so waking up too early, having disrupted sleep, having trouble dropping off, um, can have a really negative impact um, on our bodies, our brains and our quality of life. So it's it's definitely something worth addressing and worth mm. thinking about because we have an element of control over it. There are things we can do um, which can positively impact our sleep. And that's worked pretty well mm. for me, I would say. Um, I don't always sleep amazingly um, if I have disruption in my life. Sleep is one of the things that goes. But um, I have massively improved my sleep and I've also massively reduced my anxiety if, for whatever reason, I don't sleep so well. Um, so I'm able to just cope with it and managing it, manage it much better than so I used it, to. It's interesting, just, just picking up on that point now Annie about you're saying about you know your anxiety and there is that real sort of interplay with sleep which I think you've you've sort of noted as a theme throughout um while we've been been speaking so is there a real interplay I mean what is the relationship like between sort of mental health conditions and sleep yeah this is a really interesting area um and it's one we explore quite a lot on the course actually um, it goes both ways um, how well we sleep affects our mental health and well-being but also our mental health can affect our sleep um, and I think what I've been describing is my anxiety negatively impacting on my sleep um, for other people it might go more the other way and for some people it might be a wonderful mixture of both um, so if we have a think first about how sleep affects our mental health and well-being. If we're not sleeping well, and it's worth remembering that doesn't just, we've talked a lot about the, the amount of time um, that we're asleep, but it, it's not just um, too little sleep. It can be too much sleep. It can be the quality of the sleep. It can be the timing of the sleep. Um, but taking all of that into account, um, people who generally experience poor sleep, evidence suggests that there is a more likelihood of um, ex developing depression, uh, maybe 10 times more, um, developing chronic anxiety. Poor sleep can also increase symptoms of psychosis. However, 
we should be quite clear here to say it's not the case that poor sleep is causing mental health issues. It's much more likely that it's going hand in hand or it's making mental health issues worse. So it's not like you don't sleep well for a couple of weeks and, and you're inevitably going to become ill with something. It's not that straightforward. Um, on the other side of it, there's lots of evidence that suggests people who have improved the quality of their sleep experience better quality of life and reduced symptoms of things like anxiety and depression and other mental health it's, uh, issues. I, I, I genuinely find this um, topic fascinating. As say at times, I, I'd say I'm relatively lucky in that sleep has always been okay for me. I'm, I'm finding at the moment that I am sleeping a little bit bit too too much um but i i read a in fact it was an audio book that i came across um previously i've spoke to annie about this before that uh i listened to and there was a really good good section in there where it talks about if there was a a pill that was on the market that could um you know help against heart disease help against anxiety help against depression help against um just naturally helping to refuel your body it would be the absolute mm. best-selling pill by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination every drug company would want that absolutely because it's just linked to so many sleep is linked to so many different conditions in terms of both a positive and obviously that negative mm. and i just i found that really fascinating they're saying it would it would be the golden yeah. pill yeah all of us naturally yeah. naturally do it yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting what you say about the physical side as well, because we've had students on the course comment that as well as the impact on mental health, um, disrupted sleep can really have an impact on things like uh, diabetes, for instance, which totally makes sense, because one of the main things that's happening while we're asleep is regulation of our metabolism. So all the hormones that are swilling around in our bodies day in and day out um it's almost like at night things things come back into balance and things get cleaned up and sorted out and if your body doesn't have a chance to do all of that at night it's gonna have it's, it starts the day in a worse position and it's it's playing catch up for the rest of the next day um so you're absolutely right as well as the mental side there's there's huge um advantages on the physical side if we're if absolutely we're so so let's carry on Annie. so we so we we talked about how sleep affects our mental health, but then also our mental health can affect our sleep. So in terms of my anxiety, for instance, or if there's something going on, um, medication that people take for mental health conditions quite often impacts on sleep. <clears throat> Excuse me, I should just say I'm coughing slightly, but um, it's not <laughs> virus related. The tree pollen is really strong at the moment and i'm suffering a little bit with hay fever i'm loving the weather i'm not not wishing the weather away um but the tree pollen is pretty I, I love the, the fact moment. that we have to put um, these disclaimers in whenever anybody yeah. coughs now um so no say annie does have just it's um it's a little bit of, of hay fever but i'm sure we're yeah. not the first to have had to put those disclaimers in i'm sure when everybody's gone shopping and <laughs> accidentally coughed or sneezed 
um, it's not the case. But sorry, I'll, I'll go back to your, your point now, Annie, because you're having a really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So medication for mental health um, conditions can affect sleep. Um, mania. Um, people experiencing uh, mania, it might feel that sleep is rather unnecessary or irrelevant. Um, and PTSD, for instance, can cause nightmares and night terrors and and generally increase the anxiety around going to sleep, um, which can be really hard as well. Because if, if the idea of sleep and bedtime becomes in itself anxiety provoking, uh, that's really difficult. So off, off the back of that, which I think is, is probably quite key for us to say, because we, we have spoke there a lot <coughs> about the, um, the effects both ways that, that can sleep can, can have on you. And if you're listening to this podcast and you are somebody a little bit like Annie has been in where you've had really disruptive sleep, possibly getting three or four hours or less or far, far more than what you should do. Um, what, what can you do? I mean, what can be, be helpful and is there anything that we can give mm. us a takeaway that can be really useful yeah. um, for those people who are struggling? Yeah, the good news is that there are lots of ways in which we can influence and manage our sleep and improve our sleep. Um, so having said what we already said, um, if you have ongoing sleep problems, go to the GP, check out whether there are any physical causes or anything the GP can suggest. Um, but um, that aside, if there is no underlying physical cause, there's a huge amount we can do ourselves to manage it. Um, I would say focus on two main areas, probably. Um, if this is something listeners are interested in finding out more about, we are running an online healthy sleep course during the lockdown period. And then the normal sleep course will begin again, of course, when the college reopens uh, in its physical sense. Um, but I would say two main areas. One is environment and the second one is routine. So maybe if we start with environment first um, and I'd recommend just manage whatever you can really notice what works for you, um, because I, for one, spent many, many years just just cracking on and doing things that and being in an environment that was actually quite unhelpful for my sleep. And I think um, the, the biggest changes I've made have just been to notice that and think, OK, is this going to be supportive to good sleep or, or is it not? And making little tweaks and they don't need to be massive changes um, but little tweaks that we can make. So, for instance, um, having a dark room, maybe using blackout blinds or eye shades. But conversely, other people might like to have a small little nightlight plugged in somewhere. You know, it, it's different for different people. So um, the key thing is to notice what works for you. It's really useful to have quite a cool temperature in the bedroom. You can have a lovely snuggly duvet and as many blankets as you want, but sort of the, the ambient air temperature, um, it's generally thought that cool is best and that's a sign to your body that it's time to rest, it's time to sleep. Um, a lot of people like a, a quiet room. Um, so personally, I never leave home without earplugs if I'm gonna be sleeping 
somewhere where I can't control traffic noise or the per next door or whatever it is, um, I have earplugs. And if I know for a particular reason I'm, I might not sleep well or I'm sleeping maybe at a slightly different time of, you know, a different mm. time because I'm working in the night or, or some, something's disrupted for any reason, I'll put my earplugs in. But again, conversely, other people might prefer white noise. I know Stephen, who co-developed the uh, sleep course, um, really likes a, 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 an app on his phone that mimics the sound of rainfall. And he finds that very relaxing and soothing to have that kind of white noise going on when he's trying to mm. sleep. Um, another thing the sleep scientists talk about is having as few distractions as possible. So mm. really minimising excitement in the hour or two. Um, probably most of the listeners to this podcast will have heard comments and suggestions about minimising screen time before bedtime, all sorts of things like that. Um, some people say you should really only have your bed in the bedroom and you should be trying, and this isn't always possible in um, flats and, and small living areas, but you should really only be trying to sleep in that room. So there wouldn't be a TV, you wouldn't be having breakfast in bed, you'd really let, be letting your body and your brain associate that space and your bed with sleep. Um, but again, it's what works for different people. You know, wow. there's, so, there's such a, there's such a massive, ugh, so many things that you could, you could play with there, isn't there? I mean, you know, just to, just to recap on, 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 on some of them. I mean, you know, even, even things like temperature, these are things that you possibly don't even think about temperature, earplugs, you know, a, a dark, a small room. Interesting, you were saying there about literally just having your 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 bed in in the bedroom. You know, screen time and screen time. I think for for so many people nowadays is such a thing because we all have a, a mobile screen. Well, many of us have a mobile screen device. So, is that something I wanted to pick up on? Because it's something that I've started doing about two years ago. Was actually keeping my phone in a different mm. room um and i personally actually found a huge difference in it particularly in a morning where rather than kind of getting up and then sitting on my phone feeling mm. groggy you know potentially for an hour uh you know just looking through things catching mm. up with people it made a huge difference because it made me get mm -hmm. out of bed um and actually you know, and not think about it. And it means that in the middle of the night, I was one of these people who middle of the night, maybe in the end of those sort of sleep cycles that you would talk about, particularly, I don't know if you'd been having a conversation with a friend or there was something on your mind, you could quite easily roll over and phones there. And suddenly you're half an hour into watching, you know, goals from mm. the 1966 world mm. cup final, which would be, you know, my kind of go-to, mm. um, so do you think there's really something in kind of having a, uh, I suppose, um, a sort of distance from technology? For me, that's really helpful. And I think it's something worth thinking about. I think with a lot of these, they might sound, you know, when you list, it sounds like a lot of stuff to do and stuff to think about and quite rigid rules. 
think the key thing is to try out different things and see what works for you. We can't expect enormous changes very quickly. People aren't going to eight hours of perfect healthy sleep uh, after a week or two of trying things out. But it might also, and I certainly sort of ramp things up or down depending on how I'm feeling. So if perhaps earlier in the day or during the evening, I'm feeling quite anxious and I realise I'm not quite right in myself, then I'll maybe make a particular effort to think about my environment before I go to bed and my routine to, to support myself to get a good night's sleep. Whereas if I'm trucking mm. along and everything's fine, then I might be a bit more relaxed about some of those things, you know? So it's a case of trying things out and also I think noticing what's gonna be helpful for you at any particular time. But personally for me, um, keeping away from technology in the space where I'm trying to sleep is really helpful. And particularly, I must say, right now, I spent probably the first week, you know, when things really kicked off in the UK and there was lots of news coming out and information and people saying different things. And then it was probably just the period as we were heading into the lockdown. And I was looking at my phone and checking the news first thing in the morning. And I have stopped doing mm. that because whether mm. I hear the news then or half an hour or an hour later or whenever I decide to let it into my life um, makes no difference in terms of the news. But it made an enormous difference to my mood and my well-being mm. and how I how I was addressing the day and starting the day. Um, mm. So I love your idea of, you know, the phone's in a different room. If you if you want to get to it, you have to physically get out of bed and go to it and possibly have a shower on the way so that you have started the day in a really positive way. <laughs> well, well, that that was my cheat, if I'm being completely honest, because I realised I just needed to to get out of bed. Once I'm out of bed, that's fine. I'm, mm. I'm not going back. Um, and I've spoke to lots of different people who've sort of said said the same. Once once you're up, you're up. But it's and even if and I must admit, and I, I don't know if this might sound a bit strange for the first couple of months, I realised I was quite addicted to my phone because I was actively wanting mm. to get out of bed to check the news or to check that text mm. from somebody. But it was mm. kind of useful because it was like, well, actually, I'm now out of bed. Okay, I will quickly check the text, but now I'm going to get in the shower. I'm not going to sit in my chair mm. for the next half an hour, but I would have easily sat in yeah. bed for the next yeah, half an hour. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And there are things we can do with our technology to make it more like our friend. So I've got a thing on mm. my, it's an iPhone, but I imagine there's something similar on other devices as well. There's actually, if you go to the, the clock bit, um, there's a thing called bedtime. And so I have it set up um, and obviously my phone is still on. I can still use it if I want to. Um, but at a certain time in the evening, I get this lovely sort of um, lullaby sound and it's my phone saying it's bedtime. Um, and I think it might even say, you know, if you want to get 
seven and a half hours sleep or whatever I've the times that I've set it up for everybody can set it up uh, for whatever suits them because of course we all have different rhythms and different lifestyles but whatever works for you you could have it you know switching to dark mode and not letting messages pop up between half past 10 and half past six in the morning or whatever works for you um there are things you can do to change the um color on the screen which some evidence recently has suggested that the whole thing with blue light is maybe not as significant as it was thought but even so there are things you can do um i have a beautiful my alarm rather than being a horrible wah, 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 um i i have the dawn chorus wakes me up um so it's, it's still an alarm um, I usually wake up just before it, actually, but I leave the alarm on because it's beautiful. It's the dawn chorus. Who doesn't want to hear that? Um, so there are things we can do to make our phones our friends a little bit when it comes to sleep. Which, yeah, that kind of leads no, on I, to the I, second I, point yeah. um, I was going to say in terms of general tips. Uh, and that's so the first one was environment, managing whatever we can. And the second one is routine. Um, which sounds dull um but for me and this may also be connected to my anxiety for me routine is enormously helpful and um it's possibly dull but it's made a big difference in terms of me improving my sleep um i have no doubt so Mm. the sleep scientists would say it's a really good idea to go to bed and wake up at pretty much the same time not be rigid you know, and again, it's not something to get mm. anxious about. If that doesn't mm. work um, at some point, that's okay. Um, and developing mm. a nighttime routine can be really helpful. So doing everything you can to encourage your brain and your body to recognize it's time to rest. Um, and again, that might be different for different people. Some people like to have a shower. Um uh, a special kind of tea. I quite like tea with, um, you know, it's, you can get it in all sorts of places, sleepy or bedtime or whatever they might call it. It quite often has valerian in it, maybe some lavender. Um, people love things like lavender pillow sprays. Um, Stephen, I think, is quite keen on bananas. There's um, a particular chemical in bananas that um, again tricks our body into thinking right time to sleep Um, relaxing music meditation whatever works for you really but there are uh, lots of things you can do Yorkshire bedtime brew that's something I've got into since since Christmas I I went I went home and my mum um she she listens to this she'll be mortified (laughs) that I'm saying this on the podcast I went into a um into one of the cupboards in the kitchen and there was, I think it was, we counted 12 boxes of bedtime brew because you can't get it in many places. So mum, this was before what was happening currently, decided mm. to stockpile mm. bedtime brew tea. But it is, it's Yorkshire tea, sort of on brand here. Um, Yorkshire tea and it's, it's bedtime brew. I've been having it since about Christmas time. And uh, my mum swears by it and I'm not far behind now. Um, hi hi Liam's on mom. point and thanks for the tip that's fantastic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is that um caffeine free Liam mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah so it's it's caffeine free so it's I'm not a big big fan of, of fruit teas um 
it's it's caffeine free, but it's just got a little hint of of sort of some extra um, oh. sort of fruitiness to it. And I, I presume I'd, I don't know the science behind it, um, but I presume it's got um, some of the the um, <coughs> sort of chemicals that you were talking about mm. a little bit earlier in them. But it's my, both myself and my partner. We've both since uh, <laughs> since raiding mum's cupboard. I don't think she don't think she knows about that actually. Since ra- since raiding the cupboard, um, we've uh, yeah, it, it, it's really it's really helped for both of us. And and again, sort of got into the routine that you were talking about. So around about mm. sort of nine o'clock, we will we will sit and, and have a bedtime brew, and it, it almost naturally feels that it's like okay. Mm. it's nearly time for bed I'm somebody who goes up to bed and 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 does my diary and and normally reads a little bit of a book and and that I'm often reading a Mm. book and falling Mm. asleep and I and I put it down and 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 when I've noticed like what you said there when my routine isn't right or something's happened if I'm not reading my book I've not done my diary it often takes Mm. me longer to then get to bed um and get get to sleep um yeah yeah Mm. oh massively the the one probably the last the, the one thing i do want to ask Annie is we've talked about there about sort of the positives and the um all these things that you can do but if you you know your environment's been right you've you've you feel like you've done everything and you still get into bed and 20 30 minutes later you're still just tossing and turning you think i've done everything i've had a bath i've read a book mm. i've not had screen time i've had a nice you know cup of tea what what do you well, do in that the, instance um, advice from the sleep scientists is really clear get up don't lie in bed tossing wow. and turning because you want your body and your to associate bed with sleep this is where i sleep this and sleep is what i do when i'm in my bed so if you change that by um, watching TV or lying awake, worrying about things or reading books for hours on end, I mean, a few pages before you go to sleep is obviously fine. Anybody who doesn't have sleep problems, they can watch films to their heart's content in bed. It doesn't matter. What we're talking about here is if you want to improve your mm. sleep. Um, so the sleep scientists would say, get up. Um, not as in have a shower and, and get on with the day, but um, get out of your bed. Mm. If you can leave the room, that's not always possible. Um, and do something mm. fairly dull. <laughs> so um, that might be um, possibly a bit of colouring. You know, these um, colour my numbers by numbers books you can get or the meditative mm. colouring, that sort of thing, I think might work quite well possibly read so long as it's not too exciting um uh do some filing i uh, we had a student once who said she did a bit of ironing um kind of repetitive and relaxing um bring down your anxiety because the chances are after 20 30 minutes trying to get to sleep you you might be pretty fed up with that and kicking yourself and thinking, oh, if I don't sleep now, I'm going to be tired tomorrow and I'm not going to be able to deal with everything tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. The anxiety can really increase. And um, mm. that, by definition, is not going to help you get back to sleep. So take yourself away from the situation, mm. reduce the anxiety, and then when you feel ready, go back 
and get into bed. And it it might feel counterintuitive because you're trying not to sleep for however long it takes. It might be five, 10 minutes. It might be a bit longer. But actually, that's going to help you get to sleep quicker and have better sleep once you're there. Oh, great. That's, yeah, that is sort of, it feels quite counterintuitive. I was, I was a little bit surprised <laughs> when you said get up. Uh, I, th- I think, I think the, the, the natural uh, feeling with that is, oh, I must stay in bed. I must try and get to sleep. And then that's, I suppose that's when an anxiety kicks yeah. in around sleep. Why am I not sleeping? Ah. So actually, as you say, maybe getting up and having that slight, you know, gentle distraction that then gives your body some mm. further time is, 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 is really, really key. So I think the two takeaways that I'm taking as a, as an overall from this is there's a number of things, well, probably lots, lots and lots of things you could do in terms of environment. And then secondly, routine. So environment and routine are the two mm. big takeaways. And then that final point that you've just said there about if you are struggling, don't mm. sit there fighting mm. to try and get to sleep. Yeah. Get up. Yeah. And there's also um, more that you can do. You can um, talk to your GP. You can, there's lots of sort of self-help things that you can do. And here in the Thames Valley region, there's also a fantastic resource called Sleepio, which is um, basically CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy for poor sleep. And that's been designed by scientists here in Oxford, funnily enough. Um, And that walks you through a six week program. So you can sign up for it um, on it. There is an app, but it actually works better on your computer or tablet. If you have that, it's easier to access everything. Mm. And that over the space of six weeks walks you through CBT, but specifically thinking about poor sleep. Um, and a lot of people find that really helpful. It's totally free. It's been paid for already by the NHS for the Thames Valley region. And um, yeah, that provides little exercises. Anybody who's had experience of CBT may find some of it familiar. Um, little exercises, tips. They have um, helpful things like little meditations if if that's something you'd like to try but it's very much tailored at the beginning of the program you are asked some questions about your own experiences of sleep and then the program is kind of tailored for you as you go through the six weeks Um, but that's totally available you no waiting list you can just go in and sign up for it Um, that's available on sleepio.com slash nhs Mm. and it's really important to include the slash nhs at the end because otherwise you know it looks like you have to pay for it or it's not available but it is free and available in the thames valley region um and uh, might be worth trying if that's something you're interested in brilliant another fantastic resource in fact what we'll we'll do annie when we we send the podcast out um, I will include a, a link. So if you are listening to that and you go, oh, I've never heard of this. If you've got this through the email, it will be on the email. If you've got it through Facebook, it'll be on Facebook. If you've got it through Anchor, it will be on Anchor. And if you really can't see where it is, do feel free to drop us a message and we can we can send you that information across. Um, for those who were interested, a little bit earlier, I was talking about a, a book as well, which I'm sure that Annie would... Um, 
recommend as well, which I uh, did as a, an audio book, but you can get it as a physical book as well. Um, it's called Why We Sleep. Um, it's a fantastic book by by Matthew Walker. It's a it's a real international bestseller. Matthew Walker, I believe, Annie, you might be able to fill in some gaps on this, but he's a yeah, sleep scientist yeah, that's himself. Right. And it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I, I um, first encountered it as an audio book um, on a free trial of one of these ebook things because it was still in hardback and I, I didn't want to pay the hardback price. <laughs> it wasn't in the library. I'm sure it's in the library now. Um, it's now in paperback and I enjoyed it so much. I did, I did end up buying it in paperback because I, I wanted to read it again. And uh, the, the funny thing on the audiobook is that they quite often have little graphs and charts and things and the audiobook tries to describe yes. them. So um, <laughs> that's one of the reasons I bought the paperback because I thought, A, I don't really know what that chart looks like. Um, so it's a bit easier in paperback, but that's something to maybe explore in the library as well. But um, yeah, very readable, really interesting. Um, a little bit sciencey, but but even I managed it and not feeling very sciencey. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you've you've got a master's in psychology, and 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 I don't have a master's, and and very much was able to connect with it. So if 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 myself and Annie can connect with it, um, I'm sure you can. And, and equally, again, you know, do it as either a, an audio book or a physical book. Um, you know, it might be that when you go for your your hours walk a day. You can you can listen to a bit of that um, as as well. So, well, I, I, I hope I hope that has been really useful um, to our listeners. I know that is something we get a lot of of requests about, and and Annie um, and Stephen's course that they developed at the college is massively popular with students. And I hope that those who are students of the college or would like to be students of the college who are listening would like to sign up because they've they've developed a little hours version which we'll be doing from the 20th of April. Um, the courses are, are released um, and you can do that in the usual way by calling the usual numbers, um, which again, I'll, I'll put in the, the email if you do want to, to sign up for that. So I just want to say really, before we, we, we head off, is thank you so much to Annie for, for coming and, and co-hosting this. I've learned a lot again, as I always do when I talk to you about, about sleep. And I'm sure I'll have a very good night's sleep um, having, having spoke to you today. Are you saying I put people to sleep, um, Ian? No, not at all. But if, if, if we have got there in the end, I mean, that, you know, maybe that, was the, maybe that was the hidden name of the pod. Maybe we've got no, maybe there's nobody now listening to this bit of the podcast because they just feel so relaxed and we've, we've managed to, uh, to do it. But no, on a serious note, thank you so much. Is, is there anything before I go that you just want to give us a, sort of a final message to our It's really our hard, because this has been enormous fun and I could just carry on like this for another hour because there is so much interesting stuff to talk about. Um, just very briefly, we were talking about routine and you mentioned your Yorkshire tea, um, bedtime Yorkshire tea, which I should explore. Um, stimulants in the evening can be really unhelpful. So that's maybe just one of those things to think about. Are we helping ourselves? Are we helping our bodies? Um, so caffeine, most people know about, but there's a lot of hidden caffeine in, for instance, tea, if it's not decaffeinated, um, chocolate, a lot of desserts, a lot of sugar can just, you know, for me personally, um, I, I basically can't have sugar or caffeine in the evening, which sounds a bit dull, but I tell you, it is so much easier 
to cut things out <laughs> earlier in the evening and get a good night's sleep than deal with the consequences. So, um, yeah, that's just something to think about. And maybe one final tip that's been working really well for my partner, actually, um, because it's, it's something we talked about and I shared with him, is worry time. So this might be familiar to people mm. who've done CBT. Um, but if you have a lot of things going around in your head, you know, you've, you've done your best, you've looked at your environment, you've looked at your routine, you've tried to not have stimulation late into the evening. But even so, you lie down and things are going around in your head, stuff that happened in the day or maybe stuff that's coming up. Um, worry time is a technique where you're basically acknowledging those worries and saying, OK, that th this is a, a legitimate concern, uh, but now isn't the right time. So I'm going to designate a time tomorrow or whenever suits you um, and you can choose when I'm going to designate a time, which is when I'm going to let myself worry about this stuff. You might even write it down on paper. So it's not in your head. It's on the bit of paper. And then you've committed to come back and address those concerns. Hopefully that means they're out of your head. You can get to sleep. You can have a restful night. And then whenever you've decided to, you can come back and look at them the next day. Possibly after a good night's sleep, some of them don't seem as daunting as they did in the wee small hours. Um, they might do, but at least you can then work through them and do your problem solving, address them however you need to. Um, so that idea of acknowledging and postponing the worries can be really helpful mm. if the anxiety is just overwhelming. So, yeah. Great. Thank you, some of the fan fantastic, fantastic tips there. And again, feel free if you're, you're listening to the podcast to, to go back, back over these as well. I think Annie's put them in a in really, really clear terms, but we're, we'll end there because Annie did say to me before we did the podcast, you know, maybe maybe half an hour to 40 minutes. And I know that we could absolutely carry on talking and we're, we're at an hour already, um, but it really doesn't feel that way. I've, I've learned so much um, and I'm really thankful to, to Annie for coming on. Um, and again, just to say to everybody, if, if you found that really interesting, use some of those resources that Annie spoke about. And if you are a student, do come along and, and do the, the, the mini sleep course, which is going to be a virtual course, which we're doing this term and then hopefully when the college is back up and running again in the physical realm um you can come on the the course at at that point as well but i just want to say huge thank you annie and um thanks for coming on thanks for giving us your your personal insight um and also your your interest from an academic point of view and um yeah i'd say see you soon but i will certainly i'm sure we'll certainly speak soon and uh, thank you to all of our listeners. It's been for listening enormous as well. fun. Thank and you. hopefully um, I'll meet some of the listeners soon on one of the courses. Bye. Thank you for listening to that episode of the Oxfordshire Recovery College podcast. I'm now starting to... Oh, oh, feel a little bit sleepy myself and I learned quite a number of different techniques and tips that Annie so beautifully put 
throughout the podcast. So thank you for listening. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do on Spotify. So if you have the Spotify app, you go on to Spotify, you search Oxfordshire Recovery College podcast, tap follow under the artwork and you will get an update every time one of these is released. You might have also received this as an email. If you do have any feedback as well, do feel free to email us back. You can also get this through our Facebook page, which is at Oxfordshire Recovery College, or on our Twitter page, which is at Oxfordshire RC. If you want to get involved, please let us know through any of those means, or you can ring up the college also. You can email the college on contactorc at restore.org.uk. So that's contactorc at restore.org.uk. Next week, we're looking to try and do an activity podcast. So that's possibly a little bit of sport, possibly a little bit of activity. We shall see where we go from there. So there's nothing else less to say, but take care, stay safe, and we'll hear from you soon.